Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT Annual Conference, Gift Ed 21. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Brian Hausen, the coordinator of the Academically and Intellectually Gifted Program at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and creator of Gifted360.com. Dr. Hausen earned a PhD in educational psychology at the University of Connecticut, with an emphasis in both gifted education and instructional technology. Brian has worked in education as a classroom teacher, a teacher of the gifted, and a university professor for over 20 years. Brian is a lover of technology, Star Wars, all things Disney, video games, and fonts. He also proudly identifies himself as a geek. Brian, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. You literally co-authored the book on school-wide enrichment and technology, uh, with your wife, uh, Dr. Angela Hausen, and Joseph Renzulli. Why should educators look to technology when looking to see and meet the needs of gifted students? Yeah, um, as I'm thinking about this question. Um, first of all, I, I think that technology uh, sometimes gets a, gets a bad rap. Um, sometimes it's v- really viewed as this thing that is this complex add-on. Um, instead, I, I think that, especially in 2021, that we, we have to realize that it is an integral part of our everyday life. Uh, it's something that absolutely has to be used uh, within our classroom, within our learning environments, uh, and it's it's something that has completely revolutionized the way that we do absolutely everything. Uh, saying that we're not going to um, integrate technology, I don't think is really an option anymore. Now, that being said, sometimes technology can make our lives more complex and complicated than it needs to be. Uh, and it's been really interesting as I've kind of been on this journey um, as I uh, exited the the classroom uh, as I became more of a, a university type person uh, and a and um, a educational consultant. That um, I started out as being sort of like the um, the chief advocate for for technology and its integration into the in the classroom, and I, I got an, an early reputation um, throwing out about a lot of resources and gained some popularity do, doing sessions like sixty tech tools in sixty minutes. Um, those are fun, fun things to do, but it's often the wrong way to go about doing it. If a technology tool is super flashy uh, and, um, you know, kind of deemed uh, as sort of like sexy uh, for, um, for the day, then um, oftentimes as teachers, we want to immediately take, take that on. Uh, and I think that what we have to realize and what we have to do is, is that integration of technology into our classroom making a significant difference for our students and enhancing the learning environment. If it's complicating things uh, or detracting from that educational experience, then maybe we don't need to do it. Technology doesn't have to be a part of every experience of what it is that we do in the classroom, but it can be a meaningful one, and that's where we should really put our emphasis. It reminds me a lot about differentiation when it comes to promoting that with teachers in the classroom. Sometimes they want uh, a, a worksheet mm-hmm. that tells them how to differentiate and you hand them that and they don't have a desire or the values that drive differentiation. So it, it ends up fizzling out over time. Is that similar to what technology does as well? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, you know, oftentimes um, as, as teachers, uh, we're we're looking for those uh, those easy answers. Like we want to we want to do what is best for our students, uh, and we want um, some simple solutions because there's so much that is on um, that are that's on our plate, and we're we're trying to figure it out as best we can because we we want to make that difference uh, in our students' lives, and um, I, I think that that's what's most important. Um, we we have to try and figure out on a daily basis what is going to be best for the students that we have in that moment at that particular time. And it's going to look different from, from day to day, from year to year. And trying to do you know, exactly the same thing um, is not, not going to work. You've got to find out what's going to, what your students are going to respond to, what it is that they're going to need, and really what's going to allow them to be those creative producers. So it's hard to create those creative, productive types to get Renzulli a little bit there mm-hmm. uh, without knowing your students in the first place and, and pursuing them day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I think that that's probably one of the most important things that we can do as educators is to really identify and recognize what our students are, 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 are interested in. And it's been, uh, it's been just fascinating to watch um, education transform um, over the course of the, the pandemic. Uh, and I think that in many ways, um, as educators, we've gotten to know our students in many instances on a much more personal level. Uh, we've been able to see into their, what their home life actually looks like. Um, I know as uh, when I was a classroom teacher that I tried to make it a regular habit um, to get to know all of my families and uh, go and visit as many of them uh, as I, I possibly could just to see what my students' lives were like outside of school. And I, I think that oftentimes as teachers, we don't have the time really to invest in that. Uh, yet, when you're zooming into people's cla- in, into people's homes, then you really get a different picture of what um, of what that home life is like. Speaking of getting a little bit personal here, you've made it very clear you love Legos and Star Wars, and and I find that super interesting. Do you find that maybe sharing your love for things like that are entry points for students or educators to connect with you? Yeah, I, I think that just opening yourself up and, and identifying those things that um, that you are deeply interested in, um, that you're you know passionate about. Um, uh, I know that there, whenever I work with teachers, that there's there's a lot of Disney fans that are uh, that are out there, and I am more than happy to talk about <laughs> Disney all day, every day. Uh, I also um, get really excited when um, when I mention my love of fonts. And there's this kind of like, I'm looking out in the audience right now, and there's like, oh, there's like such a, like a, a warm heart place that they're all in. Like, oh, fonts, that's, uh, yeah, that's the good stuff right there. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that it's just really important to, um, to connect with, with teachers and with our students to show, hey, you know, I can really geek out on, you know, something that is very niche and, you know, very specialized to what it is that I'm interested in. And that's a cool thing. Uh, and let's learn more about those things that we're really passionate about and go as far and as deep as we can with that. And thanks to the power of the internet, then we can go uh, down some very, very, very deep rabbit holes. Mm, that's right. So talk to us a little bit more about geeking out here of uh, in, in your speed geeking that you're even doing here at the conference. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, so speed geeking is um, an event that um, a lot of people are kind of doing pretty early on, like in the mid two thousands, uh, back in the dark ages of the uh, of the internet. <laughs> um, and so um, I actually started doing this at the National Association for Gifted Children back in two thousand nine. Uh, at that point in time, I was the um, the court or the network 
um, chair of the Computers and Technology Network, and we were really looking to kind of create a different evening type of event. Uh, and so uh, a few of us had an idea of like, you know, let's let teachers share what it is that they're doing in their classroom. Uh, one of the problems that I see with conferences um, like this, um, not, th not that I think that TAGT is a bad conference, actually. I think of that it is the absolute best conference in gifted education in the entire country. Uh, I've been to, uh, I've presented in over 40 states, so I do have a little bit of experience in that. Uh, and hands down, best gifted conference um, in, in the country. Um, I lost my train of thought there. So, uh, so I was saying that the pro one of the problems is, is that teachers don't get to hear, have their voice heard enough. And by creating this type of event where it's almost like a, an open mic, uh, you get five minutes to present whatever it is that you are doing in your classroom with your students or just some tech tool that you're really geeking out about. Uh, I think it gives a good entry point into sharing the great things that are happening in, in your classroom. Uh, and so uh, it's super fun. Uh, it's, it's sometimes pretty rowdy, uh, which, is, uh, which, which is great. And I think it's the, exactly the type of energizing experience that, um, that teachers need when they come to these types of events. So if we're going to promote with teachers that they need to get to know their students and respond with whether it's tech tools or other things that are in light of knowing their kids, you're also providing pathways to encourage teachers to feel known and to feel celebrated for what they're doing as well. Yeah, so so often at times as teachers, we feel like that we can't share or, you know, we, there's like, oh, I'm going to go into my classroom and close the door and it's what we're going to do, like, that's where the magic is going to happen. Uh, and I think that we can't teach in those silos. Like, we have to be these advocates for ourselves and say, hey, I, I don't have all of this figured out. I'm in here trying to trying to figure it out on a daily basis, and I'm making a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, but I think we're doing some pretty cool things. Like my kids are responding in some pretty interesting ways, and um, let's just talk about that. And I think that the more that teachers uh, can put themselves out there uh, and put the what their students are doing out there, then everyone gets the benefit of learning from uh, from the powerful things that they're doing in their classroom. So tell us a little bit more about your educational journey from student to uh, educator. Uh, what was that like? Um, it, it's been an interesting journey in the life of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm an only child, uh, so there's that uh, working for me uh, or against me, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, uh, my mom, um, I'm also a first-generation college student, uh, so my mom stayed at home uh, with me until I was in the fourth grade, uh, and then she got a job. Um, at the cookie company at the mall. So that was like pretty cool. I was like, okay, you can go to work now because <laughs> I know that cookies are coming home. Um, so I was identified for a gifted program um, when I was in the second grade. Uh, I started kindergarten um, reading uh, and she just taught me everything that she knew. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. Uh, School was not necessarily the greatest of experiences, um, kind of growing up. We moved around a lot, so um, I got to see a lot of different gifted identification systems and what, uh, what classrooms can look like um, and a lot of what classrooms shouldn't look like. 
Uh, I also grew up in um, in a very small town in a, in a rural community because we moved around a lot when we were in elementary, and then uh, we moved to uh, what I considered to be the worst place that we had ever lived, uh, and we stayed there from the time that I was in sixth grade until I graduated from high school. Um, I was the probably the geekiest kid in my school uh, and the only one who was into the things that, um, that I was into. Um, I wish that I had had the internet um, back in the um, 80s uh, to really kind of connect with other people. Uh, and I think that it was really things like um, watching MTV uh, and reading Rolling Stone magazine that, um, that pretty much saved my life. Uh, it was also the connection with, um, with my art teacher who helped me realize that there's a whole world that's out there. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. Uh, I started by going to the University of Georgia, uh, and I wanted to choose a cool major. So uh, it's like, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, so I decided to become an English major uh, because I thought that was like what the, all the cool kids were doing. Uh, you know, you were sitting out on the lawn, reading a book, looking super arty. Um, I realized after I graduated from college that, um, that I was qualified to do absolutely nothing. Uh, so, uh, so my first job, uh, my parents were very proud. I became a manager of an independent video store. Um, so again, this was early 90s, uh, and it was one day while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life that we were watching some, um, some videos um, in the store, and we were watching um, ABC Schoolhouse Rock. And as I was singing, I'm just a bill, uh, as I was singing Conjunction Junction, I realized in that moment that what I wanted to do is that I wanted to be a teacher, that I wanted to make learning and school educational and fun and memorable, that I wanted to create those types of experiences. And from there, it was just kind of one serendipitous moment after the other from becoming a classroom teacher to um, my assistant principal saying, oh, hey, I think that you'd be a great gifted teacher. Uh, here's some courses that are being offered through, um, through our district as professional development for free. Uh, you can then step into that position and then, oh, now you're going off to graduate school to get a master's and then a PhD and now you're doing whatever it is that I do on a regular basis. <laughs> Oh, a couple of questions here as we start to wind down, yep. uh, especially kind of a, in a broad sense. What, who's most inspired you along this journey? Um, I, I mean, it's tough. You know, I, uh, I, I want to thank so many people, you know, as a part of that, um, from my parents to teachers that I had to um, just looking at the importance of education uh, in our lives um, is truly phenomenal and a humbling experience. Uh, and I'm continually inspired just by um, all the work that um, our teachers do. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, as I look at what happened during the pandemic, I'm like, wow, I, I thought that being a teacher was tough before, but you people are miracle workers. Uh, what you have done uh, is heroic and epic on so many levels. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I, that I could do that with as much grace that as as you were able to carry that off. So it's that's truly, truly inspiring. Well said. All right, fill in the blank. The best way to foster students' potential is? Find out what they're interested in. Help develop those interests. Um, help them discover what their interests are. And then 
get out of the way and support them as much as you can. Uh, I think that you have to uh, not leave them alone in isolation, but you have to be there helping them all along the way to really help them realize uh, and become empowered to be the individual Muslim people that they want to be. That was, that was a really big blank that you had there. So, <laughs> uh, How can our listeners find out more about you? So um, you can um, visit my website. It's at brianhausand.com. That's H-O-U-S-A-N-D.com. Uh, I also have, uh, I'm going to say, a semi-regular email newsletter that I call Inside Brian's Brain. Uh, so it's a lot of the things that I'm thinking about working, working on. Uh, there's also a lovely connect, uh, collection of um, quotation slides uh, that feature some fabulous fonts. Um, uh, I'm, I regularly post um, mixtapes uh, as a part of that. Uh, you can also um, visit um, gifted360.com. These are some online professional learning experiences that I've been developing over the course of the past couple of years. Uh, and there's two new ones that are um, coming out very, very soon. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. Brian Hausen. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Are you looking for online resources to fit your needs? Customize your professional development by selecting the courses that are most relevant to you using TAGT On Demand. Get course access and apply strategies in your classroom when you're ready. Take courses from home, work, or your favorite coffee shop any time of day. Visit TAGTOnDemand.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today we're chatting with Andy McNair. Andy was a classroom teacher for 16 years before pursuing her passion to change education by sharing practical ways to engage and empower today's learners. She is currently a digital innovation and gifted and talented specialist at ESC Region 12 in Waco, Texas, and has published a number of books on educational strategies, including Genius Hour, Passion Projects that Ignite Innovation in Student Inquiry, and A Meaningful Mess, A Teacher's Guide to Student-Driven Classrooms, Authentic Learning, Student Empowerment, and Keeping It All Together Without Losing Your Mind. Andy, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Glad you're here. We got a few questions for you. Um, you've described yourself as being passionate and you, uh, uh, being passionate about utilizing meaningful technology in the classroom. With more than 16 years of experience in the classroom yourself, why do you think teachers need to reflect upon whether they are using technology in a meaningful way to reach their GT students? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think that so often with technology, when we think about what we're using and how we're using it, Right now, we can fall into that place of just using something because everybody else is using it. Um, I know that there's so many tools that are out there that are flashy and they're cool. And the reality is, if it's not meaningful for your classroom and your learners, then I just believe that it's a waste of time. So I think we have so many things on our plates as educators that one of the things we can do to really give ourselves a little bit of grace and really getting to that place to where what we're doing is meaningful is thinking about the technology that we're using and being intentional about that. So I think just even having some sort of checklist to know, hey, how am I going to know if this tool is meaningful is not a bad idea. 
Okay, great. So a checklist, reviewing the tools, we got to make it meaningful. Uh, so where, where can a teacher get started from there? Do you have any tools that you tend to lean on more than, than others? And I'm sure the pandemic has highlighted all of this. 100%. 100% the pandemic did. But I think really the question is, is this tool, is what I'm asking, is what I'm thinking about using, is it going to be manageable for me? Is it going to be meaningful for my learners? Is it going to engage and empower them? Um, I always like to ask the questions, is it going to deepen their understanding and help them make connections? And I always say, if it's going to do those things, deepen their connections, help them um help them make connections, deepen their understanding, and engage and empower them, then it's probably something we should use. If it's not, then I, do, I think we have to consider, are we just using this because we heard of it at a conference, or are we just using it because the teacher down the hall is using it? Um, so, yeah, I think those would be my kind of three things. It makes me think, are there types of tools that you would advise staying away from, obviously, that, that don't meet that uh, metric that you're saying, but maybe some tools in general, like, yeah, you maybe want to stay, stay away from these. Yeah, I think any tool that is just fun or that is, you know, there's nothing wrong with being fun. You want that. But like I, I talked about yesterday, really that idea of engagement doesn't always have to be entertainment. I think there's a place for entertainment in the classroom, but that doesn't always have to be the case. And so really considering, is this tool just going to entertain them or is it going to give them an opportunity to do what we just talked about? Is it going to empower them? Is it going to help them deepen their understanding? And there are so many tools that do that. And I think there are also so many tools that will do that if we're just intentional about how we use them. You know, I, Kahoot, for example, like I love Kahoot. It's such a cool tool. But a lot of times we just use it on a very surface level. And it's the intentionality behind the tool that I think makes it meaningful. So... You talked a lot about teachers giving themselves grace with this as well earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how does handling teachers and their self-perception of their ability of using technology enter into this conversation? Oh, gosh. I think that's where the comparison conversation comes in. You know, we get to that place to where like, oh, my gosh, that teacher's so good at using technology. And I'm, I have people say to me all the time, like, I'm not techie or I'm not as techie as you are. And the reality is I'm not super techie. I just am willing to figure things out and I'm willing to uh, give myself the grace to mess up if I mess up. And I think that that's how we have to be with our learners. And we have to also understand that we can learn from them as well. Um, I know that my last few years in the classroom, a lot of times with my students, I would say to them, like, I have no idea what's happening right now. Does anybody know how to fix this? And sometimes there would be a kid that did. And I think so often we think in the classroom, we have to look like we know everything or have it all together. And that's really the whole idea behind a meaningful mess. Like it's okay for it to be messy or for you to feel like you're not in complete control as long as it's meaningful for your learners. Does that make sense? It, it does indeed. And, and just thinking through the title of a meaningful mess that it, it sounds like you've gone through meaningful messes before. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your journey to where you're here today sharing that message. I'd first of all say that's the story of my life. I always like to say my husband would say, you have an adjective in there that probably doesn't belong. Like, (laughs) you're just a mess. Um, But I think that as we really consider what that looks like, for me, in my classroom, I was a really traditional teacher for a long time, and I played the game really well. Um, I had good test scores. My students were pretty compliant. I had good relationships. But if you looked past that surface level and into what I was really doing, what I was doing was not meaningful for my learners. And I tell that story all the time, but there really was this one day that I looked out at my classroom and my kids either had their head down on their desk, they were talking to their neighbor, or they had that like compliant glazed over look in their eyes. And I just got tired of playing the game. And I remember thinking like either everything's going to change or I'm leaving education and I'm going to go do something else. And 
Luckily, I got connected with the Genius Hour community and passion-based learning became a priority for us and changed everything for me. And I began to see my classroom as, you know, like we talked about yesterday, I began to design experiences versus just write lesson plans. And when I began to do that and I began to give my learners an opportunity to pursue their passions, I found my passion for teaching again and they found their passion for learning again. And it just... Man, I can't say enough about it. It changed everything. And so now the only reason that I'm not in the classroom and the only reason that I do the work now that I do is because I want every teacher to experience that because I think it's such a hard time to be in the classroom that anything that kind of can kind of ignite that passion again is something we need to kind of shout from the mountaintops. <laughs> so let me ask you more about that. If uh, we have a, a teacher out there listening to you and hearing passion-based learning, uh, what, is, what does that mean and, and how do they get started? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, Passion-based learning is just exactly what it sounds like, giving your learners an opportunity to pursue their passions during the school day. And what I was actually just recording a podcast the other day, and we were talking about how passion-based learning is not fluff. It's not free time. It's not... Um, it really is an opportunity for them to learn by doing. So it's not separate from the standards. It's an opportunity for them to apply the standards while connecting with something that they're passionate about and interested in. And to me, that makes so much sense. Like I I think about middle school and high school students in particular. Um, I think Genius Hour is so powerful in elementary, but middle school and high school as well. Those kids are getting ready to move beyond the walls of the classroom. And why do we wait until college for them to figure out what they want to do? I can't figure that out. So giving them an opportunity to do that while applying what we need them to know in the classroom, it's a win-win. So, Yeah, absolutely. Preparing them for the real world. You talk a lot about authentic learning. Mm-hmm. Um, are there some key components for people to keep in mind as they're starting to implement more authentic learning in their classroom? Yeah, I think, I think the answer to that would just be keeping in mind life-ready skills, the things that we know they're going to need beyond the walls of the classroom. Obviously, the four C's, collaboration, communication, creativity, critical thinking. Um, I always like to throw in reflection and kindness. Um, just helping them understand that those are not separate. I think that's my biggest message right now, is that's not separate from what we do every day in the classroom. It's woven into what we do. I think that's what makes learning authentic when it's not okay, today we're going to, it has to connect to their right now. It can't connect to their later because I say all the time, if you say to this generation of kids, hey, you're going to need this later, they instantly think, well, then I'll Google it or YouTube it later. I don't need you to tell me right now if I don't need it right now. So the connections that we make in the classroom in order for them to be authentic and real have to connect to their right now, whatever that right now is. Mm -hmm. What if a teacher says, you know, that sounds great, but I don't have time. Yeah, I could just see a teacher saying that, whether mm-hmm. it's the reality or not. Mm-hmm. How would you respond to that? Um, I would say, first of all, you're right. You don't have time if you see it as something separate. Um, if you see it as adding something to your plate and you've got to make additional room on that plate, but that's not what it should be. Really, what should be happening is this should just be the way that kids learn. Um, and so it's a mindset shift. It's not just a like, okay, this is a new strategy, check, check. I think when we start to do that, that's when teachers get frustrated and burned out because I know, I mean, I I remember when people would come talk and they would talk about things like life-ready skills. And I was like, that's a great idea. (laughs) I wish I had time to do it. But what I didn't understand was that is not something separate. It is when I'm designing meaningful experiences for my learners, I have to consider how can I pull in their interests? How can I pull in life-ready skills or social emotions? learning so that this all seems very authentic and real and it's all connected versus being all of these separate initiatives and strategies that we're putting into place. Um, So I would say you do have time and it's going to give you a much better return on your investment 
if we can do it in a way that makes sense. But the thing I talked about yesterday was, I, I, I say it all the time and I can't say it enough, we've got to stop just having the conversation, is it meaningful for kids? And we've got to start asking, is it manageable for educators? Because they deserve that and that's so important right now, I feel like. So let's go back a little bit. And your message, I think, resonates so well, uh, especially with the TAGT uh, educators out there. Uh, talk about your experience as a student. Did, did anything happen there? How, how were you as a student? Could you see your message really appealing to you? Yeah, I was a pretty compliant student. I think about that often. I was a really compliant kid, but I remember I remember different experiences, and I always like to think back to my school experience. And like I said, I was compliant. I think I checked off boxes, but I can remember. Um, I, I remember people not playing to my strengths. I mean, I was very. I had strengths, but I was a quiet kid who didn't always, I wasn't going to showcase those. And so when I look back on my school experience, I wish I would have been given the opportunity to pursue my passions. I also remember one teacher in particular, I always love to tell this story. I walked out to the restroom and I came back. I wasn't even in the classroom. My name was on the board. And you guys remember when we did names on the board. I walk in, my name's on the board. And I was like, what? My name's on, I wasn't even in here. But I was compliant, so I didn't want to argue. But I was like, I think I'm going to argue this. And so I raised my I raised my hand and I was like, hey, so I wasn't actually in here. And I remember her looking at me because I wasn't really a talker, but she looked at me and she said, I know, but you talk a lot in here and I know you're going to talk. So I just went ahead and put your name on the board. Oh, and my. I remember that moment. And not only do I remember that moment, I remember what that room, I mean, I can walk into a school district now and if it smells like that classroom did that. that so I just always like to say those kinds of things when we don't have a strengths first mindset, when we're focused on weaknesses, those are things I remember about education. I would also point out that I remember experiences. I remember the field trips. I remember the teachers that let me learn by doing. I remember relationships. I do not remember worksheet 2.25 and the effect it had on my life. I just don't. That doesn't mean there's not a place for it. It just means if we're honest, those are not the things that we're gonna remember beyond the walls of the classroom. So that moment stays with you what other 100%. moments are staying with students that we're planning on and investing mm -hmm. in and, and letting great pedagogical uh, uh, research drive what we're doing right. right so on your journey who has inspired you whether it's maybe educationally or maybe more broadly who's really inspired you to uh, accomplish what you've done so far yeah, so I was thinking about that this morning. So I always like to say my faith 100% inspires me. But uh, I, instead of naming one person, because there are a ton, I think right now I would just have to say that teachers who are in the classroom inspire me. Like I, and I'm going to try not to get emotional, but right now just the work that they're doing and the things that we are having to put in place. I mean, having to go from teaching in person to virtually overnight and being able to do that on the scale that it was done I think is huge, and I don't think we give teachers enough credit for that, and I don't think we talk about how much um, that impacted education and moving forward what that's going to look like. You know, yesterday we talked about the future of learning, and I think that teachers are very much getting it. It's just giving them the tools and the autonomy to now be able to do what they know we have to do to move the needle forward. Wow. And so you, you did talk about the future of learning. Um, what's maybe a few words of advice or maybe encouragement for teachers as they move into the future of learning, um, just moving forward? I think it's just be brave. Like just have the courage to know who you are as an educator and know that what you're doing, pouring into the lives of a generation of kids who are experiencing things that most of us never have is huge. And the work is um, meaningful 
and, and there's going to be those times when it feels like, I remember when I was in the classroom and I didn't even teach during a pandemic, but I remember when I was in the classroom, those moments when it was like, oh, am I even, is this even impacting them or is this work meaningful? And now I have students who I talk to or I run into and things that I didn't think were a big deal left an impact on them. So I would just say that whole idea of having the courage to trust yourself, your colleagues and your learners is probably the best advice I can give right now. Uh Okay. Well, as we start to wind things down a little bit, I've got a question I've been asking everyone so far at okay. this conference. Fill in the blank. Oh, great. The best way to foster students' potential is? Giving them the opportunity to pursue their passions. Wow. 100%. Well, what a great encouragement. How can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so a couple of things. You can always check out my website, andymcnair.com. I have a podcast called A Meaningful Mess that they can listen to. Um, and then just connecting with me on social media. I share a ton on Instagram, and you can find me there at a meaningful mess with underscores in between the words. So, Thanks again to our guest today, Andy McNair. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about uh, today's guest and their work, check out the links included with the podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.